Welcome everyone, you are listening to the I Am A Sparching Podcast with your host, Scott Knowles. Enjoy the show, it will probably suck. <laughs> every drop of blood, every bit of tear, every bit of sweat, I live for this. Every drop of blood, every bit of tear, every bit of sweat, I live for this. I love that song. What's up, everybody? You've turned into another episode of I'm a Spartan Podcast. On today's episode, I interviewed Danielle Richt. She has done all of the agogis to date. And today I talked with her about Agogi 004. This is an awesome chick. She's very tough. And uh, if you're thinking about doing a gogi, this episode will probably push you over the edge into doing it. Uh, enjoy the show. Hey everybody, this is Scott Knowles here. I have Daniel Reich on the line. I think I said her last name right. Um, she's going to talk to us today about Agogi 004. Go ahead and introduce yourself, uh, Danielle. Hi, I'm Danielle. Um, been to all of the Gogis. Most recently finished Agogi 04 in Pittsfield. So, what do you do for a living, Danielle? Um, right now, I'm waitressing and bartending. Waitressing and bartending, and you've been to every single agogi. That's amazing. <laughs> I've must... been really, really lucky. Been really blessed. I, you know, have a good support system around me. That you know, my job allows me to go off on all these adventures and you know, go see the Great Wall and go to Japan and hang out. So, oh, I bet pretty, that was the coolest one. Way. You it was must get insane. Some... It was, both of them were. I mean, all of them have been crazy adventures. You must have got get some huge tips to go and do all these. <laughs> well, like I said, I have a really good support system. You know, I mean, I have people around me who are willing to help out. And, you know, they, they get less expensive as you go along um, because the gear, you know, the first the first to go you ever did, I didn't have, I don't think, a single piece of... Um, on the gear list, and now, you know, I, I already own a compass, I already own, you know, a backpack, I already, you know, the basics, so that's really where the expense comes in, um, oh. you know, I'm pretty good at looking for flight deals, and, you know, you aren't paying for a hotel for most of it, because you're out on an adventure, and you're sleeping on the ground, so, right. I think people think it's really expensive, but you're able to do it, you know, it's... It's what I want to do, you know, it's what I enjoy doing in the same way that people, you know, spend their money on the weekends. I work on the weekends. I don't go out, you know, very often. So, you know, I can use my money for these adventures and this travel. Yeah, I'm looking at this gear list right now, and it's just overwhelming all the stuff that's on it. It's unreal. It, it's very overwhelming. I, you know, I've been talking with people. I said, um, the first winter I go to did, I remember getting the gear list, and I didn't even know what half the stuff on there was. Um, and I thought I was the only person. I, I honestly thought, like, everybody knew what this stuff was, and it was just me. And, you know, come to find out, it's there's a lot of stuff on there that if, if you didn't grow up, you know, hiking the mountains and going on adventures, you don't have the stuff. But, like I said, it's... It becomes less overwhelming as if you do them and as you get into it and you start to 
find the value in each piece of, you know, like buying good boots is more valuable than buying cheap boots and not making it through. Um, You know, and buying a compass that can last you and you actually start to, you know, gain interest in how a compass works and what to do with it. um, But it is overwhelming to look at immediately, I, I admit. Yeah. And then they won't let you take any caffeine, no energy shots or gels, no protein bars or granola bars, beef jerky. What is up with that? Um, <laughs> it, it, you know what? The, the list changes from event to event. Um, the first 01 and 02, you were allowed to have um, bars, things like that. Um, China, part of the event was the sleep deprivation part, so that's where the no caffeine um, and I think that that's worked out well. Um, I think that they're trying to focus more on the MRE portion, you know, getting the, the MREs, and that's what you eat. And um, they're they're disgusting. If anybody tells you anything different, they're lying to you, or, or something bad has happened to their taste buds. Now, are you a are you now are you a finicky eater, or are you telling the truth? You know what, I'm a finicky eater, but I'm also telling the truth. I don't think anybody <laughs> eats an MRE. <laughs> Although I will say that, you know, the first MRE you break open and you're like, oh, this is horrible. But by the end, you know, everybody's sharing. I know at 04, this guy had a shredded beef one. And, you know, usually when you get one heated up, you kind of share it around with everybody. Um, you know, you're a team. you got to make sure everybody's getting calories in them. And one guy had shredded beef and I was like this is the best thing I've ever eaten and then I'm like maybe I've just been eating bad food for so long that this is like the best of the bad that's funny that's funny I can see everybody sitting around the fire just passing around MREs <laughs> they're usually half frozen or half cold and you know but I have decided that the peanut butter in the MREs is, is probably one of the best peanut butters I've ever had I don't know where the government came up with that stuff but it's, it's some good stuff Really, we'll, we'll fight people for peanut butter. We start bartering that off like cigarettes in jail. You're kind of like, oh, I have a peanut butter packet. If anybody will carry the rope for ten extra minutes. <laughs> people bartering with MREs. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I know summer at one point the MRE that I had came with Skittles, and I was so tired and we were carrying the kayak, and they just looked at this guy and I'm like, it will give you four blue Skittles to carry the kayak for the next three minutes, and he did it. <laughs> Yeah, who yeah. would who would have known that uh, MREs had Skittles in it? I didn't know that they, until I heard yeah, Ryan Kent talking about it. Sometimes it depends on which one you get. Sometimes they have Skittles or M and M's. It's an adventure opening it up. You feel like you hit a jackpot when you get it. Of course, the Skittles are like fifteen years old. I mean, they're old <laughs> sale, but they're <laughs> but for what it is, you'll take it. It's like Christmas morning. Ooh, I got the Skittles. <laughs> it really is. Okay, so. Um, I, I've never done an agogi. I, I thought mm-hmm. about, you know, doing one and I started studying the gear list and everything. And then I heard about how, you know, Joe didn't give out medals to everybody that completed it in China and you were there in China. So what was that all about? So, <laughs> I feel like I explain this a lot and I feel like I'm going to continue to explain it a lot, but there was a big, I, it was all over Facebook. Yeah, it was. So when it happened, when we were in China, when it happened, it was not a big deal. It was what it was. We all, you know, we finished the event. Um, 
I was one of the people that got a medal, but Yay. you know, in my in my room, um, there were you know, I got a medal. We had one guy that medically DNF, we had another guy that didn't get a medal. But that didn't make us any less of a team, you know, like it didn't matter to us out there. When you're doing a dogie, like when you do a Spartan race, a lot of it is about the medal, you know, you, you do want the medal at the end. But right. when you're doing a dogie, it's all about the learning, it's all about the adventure. Nobody comes to China, to the Great Wall of China for a little piece of metal. You can buy a piece of metal on eBay. That's right. You go you go for everything that's involved with it. And honestly, at every adogi I've done, well except for the first one because I medically DNF, but everyone since then when they give you the medal, it's almost like, a, oh, yeah, this. You know, it's not, the medal is not, it's not not important at all, because obviously it holds some importance. But it's so much less than everything else. And all of that controversy was really stirred up back home. We were over in China, and we were all, like I said, we had the event, and once it finished, and then we all had beers and homemade dumplings together, and then we took the bus back to Beijing, and, you know, stayed in the hotel, woke up the next morning. We all had breakfast together. We all went sightseeing together. It was never metal holders versus non-metal holders. It was never, it was just, you know, a thing. And it wasn't until I landed in America that, and turned on Facebook because they didn't have Facebook in China um, that I realized that it was even an issue. And it's, it isn't an issue between any of us. I mean, I see my Agogi brothers that didn't get a medal, and we're family. They're still my favorite people to see at races. They're still my favorite people to, you know, when they when I comment on something or they comment on something on Facebook. You know, I mean, these are these are people that have been by my side through like, you know, a crazy, crazy, crazy adventure. Whether or not they they got a piece of medal isn't isn't important, you know, and we don't. Right. I don't think any of us feel that way. I would say, you know, I, I, not, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I'll speak for 98% of the people are completely and totally satisfied with the outcome of China. It, it's the just another one of those it's situations the, where the media blew it out of proportion. They really, really did. It was not... If you've done it, you know that getting that piece of metal is just, like the stem of the cherry and the icing on the cake. Like, it's not... There's so much more involved with the gogi. There's so much more growth. There's so much more finding your inner self that this piece of metal is just... You know, I mean, honestly, like, you're more excited to get the T-shirt most of you need clean clothes at that point because you smell. But <laughs> it's, it's not nothing, but it's certainly not everything. Right. And I like medals just as much as the next person. So I'm not saying that medals aren't important, but I'm saying in this event of this type, the medal is is the least of the things. It doesn't it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't the guys that didn't get a medal in China, it didn't take away the adventure that they had. It didn't take away you know, what they saw. It didn't take away the smells and the sights and the tastes and everything. It didn't take away from our friendship. It didn't take, it was, them not getting a medal didn't mean what people think that, people who haven't done the Nagogis think that it meant. It was just a thing that happened. Right. Hmm. You know, and if somebody wants a medal, they 
they can buy a fancier one than whatever they get, you know? They're $10 on eBay. Go buy a medal, you know? That's right. That's right. Okay, so we'll back to uh, number four. Okay, so like I said, I've never done one before. Uh, so let's paint a picture there for the people that have never done one. So you get to, I guess, the venue or wherever you know, the Agogi weekend starts, which, it, does it start on Friday night or Saturday morning? Um, it depends on the Agogi. For this one, um, it started at midnight, like between, like midnight Friday, so between Thursday and Friday. Oh, that's not true. They actually switched it last minute. Let me try to think back. We had to be there between 8 and 10 on Thursday, and it started at 10 on Thursday night. So is it like everybody gets there, they sign in, and they check everybody's gear, and then they're like, okay, the clock starts now, like, or is there like a speech or something? Or um, so it's never like a clock starts, because the idea that it's 60 hours is a really dependable 60 hours. Uh, China was 63, Japan was like 74, I think, um... So it's definitely not like a, the clock starts now, um, but it's definitely like, okay, guys, it's 10 o'clock, let's line up. Um, you line up, you do some PT, and, um, you know, you do quick team building activities and just quick learning each other's, you know, you you have two minutes to learn everybody on your, you know, at that moment team's name kind of situations. Um, after... You know, it's hard to tell because you aren't wearing a watch or anything. But after like an hour or two, maybe, of PT, then we went down and we signed in. And then at that point, you turn in um, your driver's license and your car keys, and they hold on to those for safety. Right. Um, and you do a med check, so you have to go in and talk to the medical personnel, um, you know, give them your background and, you know, any issues that you have, anything that comes through, and they check you out. Um and then you get straight into learning. Um, once everybody's through med check, you start, um, you know, specifically in all four, we learned how to make a harness because we were doing some repelling later um, in the event. And so we had to make our own harness and learn to tie knots. And from there, it's, you know, just one module or one mission after the next. We, you know, we did that. And then we got on a bus shortly after that and went to... Um, a farm and learned, uh, well, we helped corral the horses and then learned to care for the horses, learned to brush them, learned to saddle them, and then we learned to ride the horses. Um, my horse's name was Jasper. He was the biggest horse and just wanted to, like, beat every other horse. It was the funniest thing. Yeah, um, I saw some of those pictures. You know, after that mission, we went on a hike. Um, it took mission after mission. Um, you know, some of them are more physically challenging. Some of them are more mentally challenging. Um... They're all challenging, <laughs> but in different ways. And, you know, it's all, everything you do, you're, you're learning and growing and team building and becoming better. Um, you know, it's, you know, most of it is just, you know, focusing on the mission at hand. Like, you don't focus on, like, oh, we are in hour seven and it's like this many hours. I'm at hour 14, I have this many hours. You're just like, I'm going to make it through through 
repelling. And once that's done, you know, I'm going to reevaluate and move on to the next mission. And that's the easiest way to get through the 60 hours is just take it one step at a time, you know? Right. So you said about uh, earlier you, you, you didn't have a watch, so were watches, can you not have a watch to if you go? Or is that something that they don't want you to have or like, you know, something that is forbidden or or is it just you just um, didn't have one? I was going to say, one of them, I can't remember which one it was. We weren't supposed to have a timepiece. Um, oh. Personally, I think, and cool. I think most people feel this way too, that it's harder to have a timepiece on because if you're constantly looking at the watch, 60 hours is overwhelming. And if you're looking and you're like, wow, I've been out here doing this for what feels like forever, and in fact, it's only been five hours. It's sort of just better to... I mean, one of the really great things that I found about Agogi is just stepping away from technology and not having my phone on me and not having, you know, to be constantly tied down to, you know, you you have to be all in at Agogi. You can't be focused on anything else. You can't be focused on, like, what hour it is or, you know, that you've been doing burpees for an hour, you you know, or in China when we were carrying corn, you know, for how, however many hours. <laughs> um, it's better to just not have a timepiece. I would say, I don't think anybody wears a timepiece. I don't know if it's necessarily stated, but it sure makes the event, I think, a lot easier to not be focused on it. That sounds awesome to me, just getting rid of the phone and the time and just embracing the experience. That sounds really cool about the event. It, it really, really is neat. It's one of those things that, you know, in China, we, we had to have our phone on us for safety reasons, but it had to, but it was in your pack. It wasn't on you. Um, and there were times you're like, God, I wish I could like, pull out my phone and video us up here. But at the same time, you're like, God, I'm really like, embracing everything about being up. Like, all of a sudden, you're noticing all these details that you're not focusing on, like, let me make sure I get the correct, you know, angle for this photo. You know, instead, you're just really, like, living it and breathing it and being a part of the Great Wall. Um, You know, at one point, we got five minutes that this was, like, like, hour 60, right before the end, that we got to take out our phones, like, the last time we were up on the wall. Um, and so we did get to take some, you know, that's why there are some photos um, of us up there. But for the most part, you were living every single aspect of it. Like, I could tell you, you know, I could describe the smells of the Great Wall. I could just, you know, I can describe exactly how it felt that first step up on the Great Wall. Like, we climbed the ladder and that first step up that you're like, oh my God, I'm actually up here. And I can tell you what the sunset looked like on the Great Wall there because I wasn't focused on... You know, let me make sure you get this down so it'll be great for Facebook. And, you know, it's, oh, I, you know, I, bet, I think I bet these, the great these events are really great awesome, about stepping man. away from all of that. Right. And it's weird to come back then afterwards and get on your phone and, you know, suddenly you just want to, like, I, I find myself after Gogi's, I want to tell everybody everything, but I'm like, you'll never understand unless you're there. I'm never going to be able to describe it as closely as as it felt. I'm never going to be able to tell you because, you know, unless you were there, you know, in that moment, um, you know, technology isn't going to help that. Right. So it's not like a 60-hour hurricane heat then, right? Yeah. Yeah, except I think more learning. Um, You know, we definitely, 
you know, talk about, you know, in 04, we talked about winter survival skills and we talked about, you know, how to use, um, how to use a compass, how to use a barometric, ulti- uh, I always say it right, altimeter. Um, sorry, I always say it wrong. Um, you know, you learn, like you said, we learned how to care for the horses. We learned how to look how, you know, there's certainly a lot more. With hurricane heats, I think it's like mission to mission, but it's like carry this. And nothing against hurricane heats, they absolutely have their purpose. Um, you know, I've done many of them and love them very much. But, but a gogi is different where it's very much learning. Um, you know, that's not, it's not just an event. It's not just about carrying stuff. It's about, you know, learning. Um, in summer last year, we talked about, you know, what plants you can eat and, you know, things like that. That's, you know, survival. That's cool. Yeah. They're actually, they're amazing. It's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. It's, I'm a different person because I do the agogi. You know, I'm definitely not the same person I was a year ago. I bet when you get done with an agogi and you have to get back into your regular lifestyle, it probably seems like a grind until you get back used to things, isn't it? It's it's hard. It's hard because you can't... It's hard to explain to people who weren't there, and they certainly can't relate to anything that you've done. And when you tell people the things that you've done, they actually sound really horrible. And you're like, no, but it was fun, and we laughed, and, you know, I... You know, my my agogi brothers and sisters with me. So you know, it's it's a weird transition, and I think I think everybody goes through not like a like depression because that's something bigger, but a a definite well, you know, week or so of like, oh, I'm, I'm not on an adventure today. Today I'm just going to work. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and I think that that's what makes you keep going back for more of these things is that. You know, you're like, I, I need that feeling again. I need, you know, I need to be out there and creating these bonds and doing these things. It's kind of like when you do your first Spartan race, you're just ready for the next one, huh? Yeah, absolutely. So earlier you said that, you know, they said, okay, it's 10 o'clock, everybody line up. So if y'all started at 10 o'clock at night, how much sleep were y'all getting through the weekend? You don't get much sleep at a gogi at all, um, at all. (laughs) In, um, in oh one, I didn't, I didn't make it that far. Oh two, I think we had four and a half hours the entire time. Wow. Um, in China, I think the entire week that I was in China, from like, you know, leaving Boston to coming back to Boston, I think that entire week I had ten hours total of sleep. Um, which is why I think we were all hallucinating so bad out on the Great Wall. Um, I definitely, like, hallucinated pirates and white cats. And it, like, I saw them as clear as I could see anything. And um, There's definitely a sleep deprivation part of it. Um, in Japan, we got a little more sleep. Um, Japan was, you know, completely different at OE because it was, like, the special, you know, invitation-only, you know, one, where it was more urban. Um, this winter one, it, we had probably two, if you, you know, as long as you could, like, sleep on that, like, when we took the bus ride out to, um, the farms and the hikes, 
towards the end of the weekend? Could you feel it? Or was the adrenaline just going so much that you didn't really even notice? This past one, I didn't notice it the way that I did at other ones. I think I was so... Because I had DNF the winter one last year, um, and it you know, was a pretty like dramatic DNF, being a medical one, and um, as I got closer to, you know, I was as you made it through, you know, each sunrise, it was like, okay, I'm actually, this is actually going to happen. I'm feeling good. I'm still feeling strong. And, you know, I've at this point sort of figured out nutrition plans and fuel plans and, you know, how I'm going to make it through. And I also know my body well enough that if I start to feel crappy, I'm like, oh, I need electrolytes and not just like, oh, I feel crappy and this is how I'm going to go. Um, when I look at the photos from the finish, I look like I'm dead asleep <laughs> and my eyes are barely open. So I obviously was feeling some surprise, but I think adrenaline still had me going. Um, by the end of China, I was exhausted. Um, like I said, China though, I hadn't, um, I hadn't had more than 10 hours sleep that entire week. Wow. Um, so by the end of China, I know we got on the bus and everybody on the bus to Beijing back, everybody just crashed immediately. We were, you know, out like a light, and they joked when we got back to the hotel, um, the guys that I was staying with, they were making fun of me. They said, apparently, I called into bed, turned on the TV, and was changing the channel on the remote, and just fell asleep as I was changing the channels. And I'm like, I don't even remember getting into bed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it was... But you sleep good when you get to get that sleep. Right. Um, they do make you, for safety reasons, before you can leave the event, you have to have at least, um, I think, four hours sleep. Um, and that's so that you aren't getting into a car and driving away sleep-deprived. I mean, Agogi does an amazing job of making sure that people are are safe and are not, they're not putting people into danger, Um you know, you're, you go through more med checks at a Gobi than, you know, than you do at any other art event or any other event that I could, you know, have been to. Um, the medical staff are amazing. They're always checking up on you. They're always, you know, even if you know they're doing it sort of secretly, where they're just having a conversation with you or if they kind of step on your toes to see if you can feel them or, you know, um, safety is very important to the, you know, to the curtail, to the staff, to each other, you know, we're, we watch out for each other. Yeah, I think if, if I do one, it's going to be one where the weather's warm. 
<laughs> you know, I think that, that that's everybody's game plan. Because um, didn't only, know, like, I, it, I didn't only like 30 people show up to this one? 28 showed up. 28 show up? How many finished? Yeah. What's up? How many finished? Or did they all finish? 18 finished. 18 finished. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think I think more people sign up for summer thinking that it will be the, the easier one. Yeah. Um, and I don't necessarily know if that's the truth because, you know, the summer, they will push you hard because... They don't have to worry about hypothermia or frostbite, you know, in the way that they do in the winter. Um, you know, but, but you're there to be pushed hard. That's right. I mean, you're there to you're there to challenge yourself. You're there to be pushed hard. Um, the people that aren't there to be pushed hard, you know, take themselves out early on. You know, usually anybody who makes it through the first twenty four hours will make it to the end because you know, you're, you're focused, you're there for the right reasons, you know why you're there, you have, you have a purpose for being there. Right. I, I was, I looked through, I think Spartan had a, a picture album with, I don't know, it was almost 200 pictures, and I seen some pictures where y'all were just walking through some really deep snow, and y'all were carrying this huge rope. That was way heavier than that photo even makes it look. <laughs> it, it looked heavy. <laughs> and it was so much heavier. <laughs> and I can only imagine, I said, I bet they walked miles with that rope. We, I don't know how many miles we walked up the mountain. Um, well, we walked for a while and then we went up the mountain and then we had, of course, had to bring it down the mountain. Um, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it was... It's, you know, it's heavy, but one of the guys, when we were up at the top of the mountain, we had built a fire and we're having, you know, food and discussion time. And we were talking, that was sort of near the end of the event. That was the last day of the event. Um, and we were sort of talking about our why and things like that. And one of the guys brought up that when you're carrying these, these things, in China we had to carry like two sandbags that were probably between like 50 and 60 pounds each, um, you know, plus your 40-pound pack, plus, you know, the bell, plus you know, all this other stuff. You know, it's sort of metaphorically like, like the burdens that you carry through life. And, you know, you start to realize that you can persist on even with this burden as long as you have your team with you. And, you know, I specifically at one point when we were carrying the rope, I had just reached a point, you know, I mean, I'm carrying a 50-pound pack on my back. I weigh 105 pounds on a good day, so I'm carrying essentially half my weight without the rope. That's crazy. Um, and I just reached a point where I just couldn't carry the rope any further. But the rest of my team also had reached the point of, like, not being able to carry the rope any further. And I looked at one of the guys who had really done more than his fair share, and I'm like, I, I can carry it. And I will carry it, but I'm like, I can't promise I can carry it very long, but I will carry it as long as I can. And he's like, definitely. So, you know, put the rope on me. And I, we started going up to an incline, and I'm like, I can't get up this. And he's like, I'll meet you halfway. And, like, ran halfway up the mountain, or the, that part of the mountain, that, that incline. And he's like, I'll meet you right here. Just make it to me. And it is. You know, you start to realize that as heavy as these things are, and when you think that you, I literally couldn't have moved another step, knowing that, 
he was there and he was, you know, that he had, you know, was able to push me further and, you know, put this finish line and, you know, I'll take it from here. You know, that we really did, you know, with your team, with these people, with your brothers and sisters out there, you can, you can carry these heavy things. And yeah, it's a burden, but it makes it that much nicer when you get to hear the words like, put the ropes down. (laughs) Um, So is somebody from staff just with y'all all the time, right? Yeah, we have the medical team. There's people from the medical team with us all the time, and there's people from the Cryptea, is what we call them, um, at all times. Now, the Cryptea kind of switch in and out. Um, you know, like one of them will be hiking up the mountain with us, and then, you know, when we get up to the top of the mountain, there's a couple of them waiting already up there for us, um, to, you know, to take on the next mission, or, you know. Um, but yeah, of course, there's always, yeah, there's always staff with us. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, so, I've got two questions here. What <laughs> was the worst thing about the event, and then what was the best thing about the event? About 004 specifically? Yes. Okay, that thing is super easy. Um... The team, the camaraderie, the, I mean, and I that goes for every single one of the Adobe's. You create bonds with these people. Um, you know, they're, they're family, family by the end. And that's, that's, you know, you're only spending 60 hours with these people. So the things that you're, you know, 60 hours is not a long time in the grand scheme of things. But it's, like, these are my brothers and sisters. These are people that, I mean, you develop a love for these people. Um you know, and along with that, the, you know, I, I'll put the medical staff in that. I'll put the Cryptea in there. The Cryptea, um, you know, Charlie Pisa, who runs, runs these, um, has become, you know, from 001, where he kicked me out, to 002, where, you know, we, we became acquaintances and friendly with each other, to 003 in China, where we became friends, to 004, where, you know, this guy is a mentor and an inspiration to me, and, you know... I, he's a person that has changed my life um, in in a year, you know, in not a long time. He has absolutely changed my life. Um, the same with Jason Barnes, who's the race director, who was Kirk up there, um, who participated in 02 and 03 um, with me. You know, Jason's, Jason pushes me. These, these bonds that you form with these people, you know, with the Kirk with your teammates, because because you've pushed each other because you've you've been through hell and back with each other and, and the Cryptea were there with you taking you through you know but with each mission that they put you through was only to make you better they were it was never a gogi is not not like death race is something that some of these missions seem you know pointless all of these missions have a point and it, and all of these missions are made to make you better. Um, you know, the, the growth that you see in yourself, the, you know, the growth you see in your teammates, the growth you see in your relationships outside of a gogi. You know, you know what it takes to to develop these things and, you know, the the, the strength that you can find in yourself. Um, that's, a, that's the best part, and I think everybody would agree about a gogi. Um, worst part? I don't know, you know, I... 
Like maybe it's like giving birth where you walk away and you're like, I don't remember a bad part. I mean, like, <laughs> there were definitely parts that you're like, this is awful. But the parts you always think are the most awful when you're going through them are the parts that, when it's all done, are your favorite parts. It's the, the most parts memorable parts. Yeah. You know, they're the parts that you look back at. You know, I, I talk about in O2, we had just separated into a team. Um, so the team, like, you go from, like, team to team. You don't always stay in the same team. But we had just separated into, like, our final team. Um, and we had to stand in the leech ponds for a half an hour doing rescue breathing, which was mentally, I mean, you're just getting chewed up by these leeches. And it's just, you can see them and you can feel them and you're trying to rescue breathe. You're having panic attacks. And when you get out of the pond, when you finally get out of the pond, everybody is just bleeding. There's blood everywhere. Y'all got in a leech pond. Yeah. You're kidding. Um, And one of the girls on my team, a leech had bit her, um, I don't know how descriptive I can go into on this podcast, but had bit her in in an intimate area. And she needed somebody to look and make sure that it wasn't still there. Oh, man. So within, you know, an hour of knowing that this girl, I was all up in her looking for looking for a leech, um, which wasn't there. We had fallen out already. So that hey, that's the sign but, of a good teammate right there. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. But again, like I said, all of these things that at the time, you're like, this is the worst thing ever, are the things that afterwards we laughed so hard because, you know, it, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. That's, you know, and, but, and it also helps you when you're in life. You know, like if you're going through life and something bad is going on and you're like, you know, this is awful. It's, you know, I'm super busy at work. I can't get, you know, I got double fat and I'm super stressed and, you know, I got triple fat. And then you're like, but I'm not pulling leeches out of somebody's junk. Good so point. I can get through this, you know? Now, did, did y'all get in the leech pond at the winter one? No, 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 no. The, okay. the winter one, that's the pond is frozen. We did go through water. I say. Um, this one. We had two water crossings. Um, so, so that probably was my worst time. But again, I think at that time that was the worst, but that's also the time where I know that I grew the most. And I also developed, a, a, you know, somebody who was a friend before, but, you know, now we have, a, you know, tighter friendship. Um, the first water crossing, um, Norm took us out there and, you know, he said, we're going to cross this river and you're going to have to go across. And I had kind of heard rumblings of something we were going to do, so I had mentally prepared myself for it. Um, at 01, I had gotten frostbite on my foot, like I said. And uh, right. so cold is my nemesis, and especially, specifically, getting my feet cold. It just, you know, it. I mean, I went through six months of not being able to feel my foot at all. Yeah, it probably know? brings and, back horrible memories. Yeah, I really, like, and I was at the front of the line at that point, but we had to wait for everybody to catch up because we obviously can't cross water safely without everybody. You know, we don't want to leave somebody behind that they have to do it by themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So as I was standing there watching and watching one go across and break ice to make a path for us to get across, um, you know, my nerves started to really, and I really got to the point where I was just violently shaking. I was like, I can't. I know I'm going to have to do this, but I don't know if I can do this. And we knew once we got across the water that we had 
they said a quarter mile, but it really was more of a half mile, um, run to Amy Farm where there was a fire where we could take off our boots and warm up. Now, did your feet um, get wet, or did you have the right gear to keep your feet from getting wet? Now, I had very, this time around, it's very expensive boots um, made for, and they were water resistant. But when you cross a river, your feet get wet. Mm. But, you know, by the time we got across, my feet were soaked. And that run, um, you know, moving back, I by the time we got to the water crossing, but I actually had to go across, I was just violently shaking. And this, this guy, Noah, who I've known for some time, um, was standing next to me. I'm like, you have to walk walk with me. I, I don't know if I can make it alone. Because all I could picture was myself stalling to say, you know, you have your pack on your back. If you get, you know, trip up a little bit, you can fall and falling into a frozen river. Yeah, when it's 15 degrees or colder out, right? Yeah. Um, So Noah walked across the water with me, and he's certainly a faster runner than I am, but ran at my pace to Amy's farm, farm, um, you know, and kind of kept me, you know, in conversation, so I wasn't thinking about how awful this experience was and how much I was hating what was going on at the moment. <laughs> um, so that was probably, and we made it to Amy Farm and, you know, tripped out mm-hmm. and got my pants by the fire and got my boots by the fire. And, you know, by the time we had finished the next mission, which was just uh, an inside learning mission, um, by the time we finished that, my boots were dry, so it was good again. Um, so when I say that's the worst, it also is one of my fondest memories because it because I did something that I really, honestly, at the moment, didn't know if I was going to be able to do. Um, you know, and I and Noah will always have a special place in my heart for running slow with me and keeping me occupied about, you know, other things than how terrified I was that I was going to take off my boots and have black coats again. So, in a way, you conquered your fear, too. I bet that was tough. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I say. Like, whenever you finish these things, the worst parts are always your best parts. They're the parts that I look back at most fondly. You know, that it's, it's that's what a bogey's about, is taking yourself further than, than you thought you could go. Because you can, you know, you can do this. Like, you know, Norm is my friend, and I know he would not have made me cross that river if he didn't think that I could do it. Right. Um, you know, these—it's—it's it's getting over your own barriers and your own issues. Hmm. Wow, that's pretty—that's pretty crazy. I—I I can only imagine your thoughts going through your head after you'd already, you know, gotten frostbite from the first winter one, and here you are at this water crossing, and you're like, "Oh my God, I'm fixing to get my feet wet." That had to just yeah. been insane so when all of this comes to the end of the weekend you know i asked you how they started it well how how do they end it do they just come up do they just say all right guys we're done and that's it um honestly it is a little bit like that um like i said they make you have four hours sleep before um Sorry, there's a motorcycle going by. I don't want to be on. Um, they make you a four-hour sleep before they will let you go. So because I've done enough of go-ease, I sort of knew when we were getting a long sleep that that meant that we were coming to the end. Um, but when we woke up from the long sleep, 
they're like, okay, we're going to go hike up Blood Route, which is this awful, awful, awful hike. It's awful in midsummer when it's nice. And, you know, in the winter when you're moving at, you know, a half mile an hour pace, I, you know, couldn't even imagine going up it. Um, How long is that? like, yeah, we're going to hike up Blood Route. And in my head, I'm like, there's no way they're going to make us hike up Blood Route because we just had our, our long sleep. So we, you know, put on our our gear and put on our micro spikes and went out and went running with our packs on and, you know, went for a little run and then did, did some burpees and went for a little more run. And then uh, the crypto that was leading us at the time was like, okay, now go back to where, to the end. And everybody was kind of like, like the end end, like back where we, um, because you carry this bell everywhere you go. And, but we had hung up the bell. Whenever yeah. you get to like a landing spot, you hang up the bell. Um, how many, wait, uh, just, like, just a second ago, you said y'all had to do a certain amount of burpees. How many burpees did you say? I, honestly, I have no idea. I thought um, you said 600. Less burpees <laughs> than, than other ones by far, but because it's snowy and they don't, they're not trying to hurt you during an agogi. So we did less burpees because that would mean putting your face in the snow a lot, and that's, that's unnecessary for the, the growth that we were going through. Right, um, that exactly. being said, in, in China, we did, you know, upwards of a thousand burpees easily that weekend. Um, easily upwards of a thousand. So there you have it, folks. Uh, you may have to do a thousand burpees if you go to an agogi. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. I mean, you do, um, you know, again, it, it sort of depends. And, you know, China was crazy. We were doing burpees. Joe had shown up and was making us do burpees and was like, oh, we're going to do 100 burpees. And every time if the team wasn't together, you had to start back at one. No um, way. And we had one guy who, um, I think that there was a language communication. I also think um, this was his first Spartan ever, and he didn't know how to do a burpee. And so Joe put him between me and another guy, and we had to hang on to him. So I essentially was doing all the burpees one-handed with my left hand because my right hand was holding him up um, and pushing him down as we did him. And then Joe, you know, in his own sadistic manner, made us take a drink of water, but we weren't allowed to swallow it. So we had to do 100 burpees. Like I said, I was doing them one-handed with water in our mouth so that at the end you had to be able to spit out the water to prove that you didn't swallow it. Oh, man. And then Joe was like, and you have to do it with a smile. So it's sort of the best video because there's a group of us just with this, like, shitty, oh, sorry, I don't need to, I mean, this huge grin um, on our faces. Like, they don't explain why we're smiling like crazy people as we're doing burpees, but that's that's why. We had a mouthful of water. That sounds awesome. We had to awesome. have a giant smile on our face while we did 100 burpees, which, again, ended up that, at that point was probably, probably 300 burpees that we did. Wow, that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I, I got a couple more questions for you because I, I don't want to keep you on the phone all day. Uh, so what advice would you give uh, to somebody that's preparing for one of these events? Your one um, piece of advice. Yeah. First off, the gear list is Vital. more important than physically. And you have to buy good gear. Don't skimp on the gear list. Um you know, and buy what they say. If they say one inch, you know, 
um, climbing, you know, tubular webbing, make sure it's one inch tubular climbing webbing. Don't buy, don't buy just one inch webbing. It's got to be tubular. It's got, you know, um, all of these things, they'll let you continue, you know, assuming that you have to, you know, like boots and things like that. They'll let you continue if you don't have it, but you either, you know, if you didn't have the right webbing, you either didn't get to participate in that mission or your team had to figure out a way to make it work. Um, so I would say the gear, the gear list is hands down, knowing your gear list, knowing how to use it, knowing that you have good quality stuff will get you through an agogi. Um, you know, if you try to buy cheap boots or try to borrow somebody's boots that don't, don't quite fit right or, you know, buy boots that aren't right for the thing. Um, I would say foot problems is the thing that takes people out the quickest. Because um, once your feet start hurting, you can't think of anything else. Stuff. And the idea of going for a six-hour hike when you can't even take two more steps forward, um, you know, it's, it becomes impossible and it, it will get in your head. So... Yeah, definitely the gear list is most important. Um, so probably the number knowing, one piece of gear is good, broken-in boots. Yeah. Get, you know, spend the money on the boots. It's it's worth it. <laughs> you know, I, as somebody who has, you know, famously had foot issues, I would say, you know, my boots that I had for this past winter, Dovey, um, I found a good sale on them. So keep an eye out on sales. But... You know, they were made for negative 40-degree temperature. Um, so at no point during the entire event were my feet cold. And that was, so I didn't, like, that aspect of the agogi didn't even phase me, whereas other people had to drop out because their feet were frozen, you know. Um, so absolutely, gear, the gear is most important. If, you know, if any piece of gear is the most important, it's the boot, um, you know. Make sure you have good boots, but also, you know, make sure you know your gear, know how to work your stove, know how to, because if they give you two hours to do foot check, meal, and sleep, you want to get as much sleep in as possible, but you have to know, know how to cook those MREs quickly, know how to, you know, know where your first aid kit is, so, you know, God forbid you do get a blister, you can take care of that. Um, so, gear is definitely most important, um... And even more than physical strength, which I'm not trying to take away the physical part of it at all because it is a physical, physical event, but being mentally prepared and going in and knowing why you are there. Because if you're just there for a piece of metal, don't show up. You're not going to make it through. You're going to be grumpy. You're going to bring your team down. This event isn't about a piece of metal. It's about everything else. No, you know, I mean, the Delta is obviously a big deal to a lot of people, myself included. I mean, you know, I'd be hypocritical to say that the Delta doesn't matter to me at all. Um, and that would come back to bite me probably. <laughs> um, but don't go because you want to finish a Delta. Go because of the purpose behind the Delta. Go because of the purpose behind the Gogi. Go because you want to to be a better person, to make a, to make this world a better place, to make to make yourself a better father or mother or, you know, husband or wife or brother or sister or friend. Um, you know, your, your purpose for being there has to be something more than this little 
piece of this little wedge of metal. It has to be more important than just, oh, I just wanted to see if I could do it. Um, you know, I mean, I think, oh, one, a lot of people did go into it with the like, oh, I just want to get a piece of metal. But at oh, one, also, we had no idea what the event, I mean, we went in there not knowing anything about the event. You know? Right. Oh, two, purpose, you know, this is me personally, I don't know anybody else's purpose, but oh, two, because I had DNF to oh, one, I, I needed to finish oh, two a sort of a, you know, completion to... I can do this. Oh, I can, I can do this thing. You know, this isn't... You know, this this wasn't the end of my story, that DNF. Um, that's not how my history is going to be written. Um, my purpose of 03 was I wanted to step up and become a leader and, you know, not just make it through. I wanted to show people that... You know, I can make it through, but not only can I make it through, but I can help you get through. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to rely on the fact that I'm smaller than most people or, you know, or, or female for that matter. You know, O3 was really about, like, I'm going to step up and really make sure that, you know, I, I prove to people that, that I'm worthy of being there and that I'm, you know, that I'm a leader and that I have learned the stuff that I did in the O2 and in my DNF and all one. Um, well, I, I would say you, you did lead at three about, because you, that? I would say you did lead at three because you did train somebody how to do burpees there. So <laughs> you, were, you were definitely a leader at three. Three <laughs> was, you know, I mean, whenever I say it, I, I don't, it always comes out sounding more snobby than I definitely mean it to be because I'll, I'll say it with a caveat, but <laughs> I kind of dominated 003. You know, I definitely stepped up as a leader. I definitely led the team. That being said, the reason my caveat is I had the best team. Mm -hmm. The people on my team, my, you know, my team fours were going to um, allowed this opportunity. And for females, a lot of times, we're not allowed the opportunity to lead. And not that men are purposely trying to push us down, because I don't think that they purposely are, for the most part. But women tend to, in general, in life, hold back and overthink things. And whereas men step up and like, okay, guys, this is how we're going to do it. And they're, they're a little bit louder. They're a little bit bigger. They're a little bit more aggressive. Um, you know, so... When I say that I was able to, to really, really lead at 03, it's because I had a team that really, really let me lead and really, you know, let me have a voice and let me have a purpose. And when I said, like, this is how we're going to do it, my team did it that way without questioning me, without, you know, because I had experience behind me, which my entire team, some of them did, but I definitely had the most experience. Right. Um. Yeah, so, you know, when I, when I say that I led it, poetry, I don't want it to sound, it's because I had amazing, amazing people behind me, you know, and it is a little regretful that they didn't get, you know, a wedge because because they allowed, and I did, because they allowed me to lead. But again, I, I think that that wedge is sort of non, it, it's a non-issue, like it's not, it doesn't, you know, define who we were, who we are as people. Uh, being at the Wall of China would have been a great experience, no matter what. It, it, 
just unimaginable how what an experience we were allowed. Um, you know, we were on a part of the wall that that people don't get to go on, that Chinese people don't get to go on. That you know, it's we get special permissions to to be on this section of the wall. We were the only only people up there. Oh, you so, know, there was, so there wasn't tourists walking by like, who the hell are these guys? <laughs> the last day, the last hike, we did run into people like for the first time all weekend and it wouldn't be like, you know, I think that people were like, who the hell are these weird, smelly people? <laughs> and why do they look so bad? <laughs> um, but, hmm. yeah, when we were up there, you know, for the, for the majority of the event, we were in an area where people aren't allowed and it was, you know, almost untouched for, you know, obviously like we weren't the only people that have ever been there, you know, in, in decades or in centuries, but it certainly was very untouched. It was, um, it was magical. It was really just, you know, a, a piece of life that I'm can't even, I'm, can't believe I'm so blessed that I got to be a part of it, you know? You're making me want to do one. You should do one. <laughs> Definitely one where there's warmer weather. I'd rather sweat than shiver. You know what? Do your first one in warmer weather and then challenge yourself to the next one in colder weather. Uh, we'll see. Hey, Danielle, <laughs> it's been great talking to you today. I've learned so much about a gogies, and I tell you what, you sound like you were just a tough and mentally tough chick. And I just want <laughs> I have moments, but I also have moments of just ugly cry. If you watch the videos, I'm the one that ugly cries during every Kogi video. I just want to thank you for your time, and I feel sorry for those people, you know, that you're waiting on, and they're giving you a bad attitude. I bet you're wanting to say, man, I've gone through four gogies. You don't want to mess with me. <laughs> you know what? I feel like people don't, I don't get that's that you know. That's a byproduct of the gogi. Is you don't get. I don't think any of us that have done one or done multiple of them. You stop getting stressed out over little things. You know, there's you've been through so much worse that it takes so much to stress me out. That when when people are being rough or trying to like aggravate me, I'm just like, eh, whatever. I got you. We're gonna make it through this part. <laughs> It probably makes uh, regular life matters seem a lot smaller when you go through the 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 trials and tribulations that you've gone through in these agogies, I imagine. They absolutely do. They absolutely do. That's definitely, you know, one of the biggest byproducts of agogi is, is learning that these things that stress people out, you know, minute to minute, are, are such... We're, you know, you're so lucky to have those stresses where people, could, you know, there's people who have actual real life stresses and have real life dangers and, you know, and people are mad because somebody's sitting too close to them on a train. You learn to, like, not care about that stuff and only, you know, care about the things that are most important to you. Care about big, big life events and let the little stuff just happen. That's right. Well, Danielle, I really want to I really appreciate your time, and I just want to thank you so much for talking to us today. No problem. It's been fun. All right. We'll talk to you later. I want to thank Danielle again for uh, talking to us today. She is definitely an inspiration, a beast, and a true Spartan. And I want to thank everybody for listening, and I'll see you at the next race, or maybe in a gogi, possibly. Peace. Peace.
Every made of tears Every made of sweat